Chapter 9 of Serapion by Francis Stevens. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Serapion, Chapter 9 The Face Speaks. Off Mr. Turn's spacious office, there was a little glass-enclosed six-by-eight cubbyhole, which I called my own. Ten o'clock Thursday morning found me seated in the one chair, staring at a pile of cancelled notes on the desk before me. I had started to check them half an hour ago, but so far just one checkmark showed on the list beside them. I had something worse to think of than cancelled notes. As I sat, I could hear Mr. Turn fussing about the outer office. Then I heard him go out. About two minutes afterward the door banged open so forcibly that I half started up, conscience clamoring. But it wasn't the second vice returning in a rage. It was Van. He fairly bolted into my cubbyhole, closed the door, pitched his hat in a corner, and swung himself to a seat on my desk-edge, scattering cancelled notes right and left. There he sat, hands clasped, staring at me in a perfect stillness which contrasted dramatically with his violent entry. His eyes looked dark and sunken in a strained white face. My nerves were inappreciative of drama. "'Where were you last night?' I demanded irritably. "'I hunted for you around town till nearly midnight.' "'What? Oh, I was way out in. I don't know exactly. Some dinky roadhouse. I pretty nearly missed the race, and—and I wish to God I had, Clay." He passed a shaking hand across his eyes. "'Did Finn lose?' I snapped. "'But—why? The race can hardly be more than started yet.' "'Finn started,' he gulped. "'Ditched?' I gasped, a flash of inspiration warning me of what was coming. He nodded. Turn turtle on the second lap, and—say, boy, I helped dig him out and carry him off. You know, I liked Barney. It was—bad. The mechanism broke his back clean, flung against a post. But Barney—say, what was left of him kind of—kind of came apart, when we—he stopped short, gulped again, and— "'Guess I'm in bad shape this morning,' he said huskily. "'Nerves all shot to pieces.' "'I should have imagined they would be. A man straight from an all-night debauch can't witness a racing-car accident, help handle the human wreckage afterward, and go whistling merrily to tell his friends the tale.' I expressed that, though in more kindly chosen words, and then we were both silent a minute. Barney Finn had not been my friend or even acquaintance, and while I was vicariously touched by Van's grief and horror, my own dilemma wasn't simplified by this news. Yet I hated to fling sordidness in the face of tragedy by speaking of money. Afterward I didn't feel like watching the race out. As Van spoke I heard the outer door open again. This time it really was Mr. Turn, for I recognized his step. So I came straight here," Van continued. My own door opened, and a kindly, dignified figure appeared there. "'Barber,' 
said the second voice, have you that—oh, good morning, Richard." He nodded rather coldly to Van, and went on to ask me for the list I was supposed to be at work on. When I explained that the checking wasn't quite finished, he turned away, then glanced back. "'By the way, Barber,' he said, "'Prang dropped me a line saying that when you were in his office yesterday, he paid up four hundred he has owed me since last June. If you were too late to deposit yesterday afternoon, get it from my box and we'll put it in with this check from the United." I felt myself going fiery red. "'Sorry,' I said. "'I'll let you have that money this afternoon, Mr. Turn. I—I—he gave it to me to deposit for him and I used it for something else,' broke in Van with the utmost coolness. On occasion Van's brain worked with flashlight rapidity. He had put the two and two of that four hundred together, while another man might have been wondering about it. Turn stared, first at Van, then at me. "'You—you you gave it,' he began slowly. "'He came here for your passbook,' ran Van's glib tongue. I dropped in on him, and as I was going out past the tellers, I offered to put it in for him. Then I stuck it in my pocket, forgot it till too late, and needing some cash last night, I used that. Barber has been throwing fits ever since I told him. I'll get it for you this afternoon." Turn stared some more, and Van returned the look with cool insolence. A brick-reddish color crept up the second VP's cheeks, his mouth compressed to an unfamiliar straightness, and turning suddenly, he walked out of not only my cubbyhole but his own office. The door shut with a rattle of jarred glazing. "'You shouldn't have done that,' I breathed. "'Oh, rats! Fatty Turn's gone to tell the governor what a naughty bad boy I am. He'll get thrown out. No news to the governor, and he's sick of hearing it. Anyway, this is my fault, Clay, and I ought to stand the gaff.' You've worked like the devil here, and then I come along and spoil everything. Drunken fool me! Knew I'd queer you if we got together, until yesterday I had sense enough to keep off. When I took those bills I knew there was something wrong, but I was too squiffy to have any sense about it. Plain highway robbery. Never mind, old pal. I'll bring you back the loot this afternoon, if I have to bust open one of the old Colossus's vaults for it." At my elbow the house telephone jingled. "'Just a minute,' I said. "'No, wait, Van. Hello?' "'Hello, Mr. Vansittart?' "'Yes, sir. Be over at once, sir.' "'Yes, he's here. What?' "'Yes.' The other receiver had clicked up. We're in for it, I muttered. Apparently your esteemed governor hasn't thrown turn out. Vansittart Sr., the gruff old lion, granted lax discipline to no man under his control save one, and even Van Jr. was, if not afraid, at least a bit wary of him. Though he had taken me on in the bank at a far higher wage than my services were worth, he had also made it very clear that so far as I was concerned, favoritism ended there. For me, I was sure the truth of the present affair would mean instant discharge. "'Shut that door!' the lion growled as we entered. "'Now, Dick, 
I'll thank you to explain for exactly what weighty reason you stole Mr. Turns four hundred. Stole? Van's slim figure stiffened, and he went two shades whiter. Stole, yes. I said stole. That is the usual term for appropriating money without the owner's consent. I don't accuse the boy of theft. Turn's set face of anger relaxed suddenly. He didn't like Van, but he was a man who could not be unfair if he tried. Keep out of this turn, please. Dick, I am waiting. Well, really, Van drawled, if you put it that way, I couldn't say what I did use the money for. There was a trifle of four hundred, owned, I believe, by by Mr. Turn, which I borrowed, intending to return it in a few hours. From what fund? The lion's mane was up now in earnest. I felt instinctively that this interview was a bit different from any that Van had been through heretofore. Are you aware that your account in this bank is already overdrawn to the sum of, he consulted a slip before him, of forty-nine dollars and sixty cents? You perhaps have reserve funds at your command elsewhere?" Van looked his father in the eye. What he saw must have been unusual. His brows went up slightly, and the same fighting look came into his face which I had seen there when he and I confronted the faculty together. On that occasion I had been genuinely inclined to meekness. I remained in college while Van was sent down. He laughed lightly. Excuse me half an hour while I run out and sell the little old roadster. Forty-nine sixty, you said? I'll pay you yours first, Governor. That's kind. After stealing one man's money, you propose selling another man's car to replace it. Yes, my car, I said. What have you got in this world but your worthless brains and body to call your own? Wait. We'll go into this matter of ownership more deeply in a few minutes. Barber, he whirled on me, you allowed funds belonging to your superior to pass into unauthorized hands. That is not done in this bank. As things stand, I shall leave your case to Mr. Turn, but first you will make one direct statement. I wish it made so that no question may arise afterward. Did you, or did you not, hand four hundred dollars in bills, the property of Mr. Turn, to my, to my son, God help me. It was up to me in earnest. I was now sure beyond doubt of what Van had run against. His leonine parent had turned at last, and even the whole truth would barely suffice to save him. My lips opened. To blame though he was in a way, Van mustn't suffer seriously in my protection. I could not forget that momentary hesitation on my part, save for which I could easily have retrieved the bills before Van was out of reach. I gave it to him, I began. And then abruptly, silently, another face flashed in between me and the President. Instead of Vansittart's dark, angry eyes, I was staring into a pair of clear, amused light-blue ones. A finely cut mouth half-smiled at me with lips that moved. Always theretofore, the face had come only when my lids were closed. Its wish to communicate with me, 
and that it did wish to communicate, I was sure as if the thing had been a living man, following me about and perpetually tugging at my sleeve, had been a continual menace, but one which I had grown to feel secure from because the thing's power seemed so limited. Now, with my eyes wide open, there hung the face in mid-air. It was not in the least transparent. That is, its intervening presence obscured Vansittart's countenance as completely as though the head of a real man had thrust in between us. And yet, it is hard to express, but there was that about it, a kind of flatness, a lack of the normal three-dimensional solidity, which gave it the look of a living portrait projected on the atmosphere. I knew without even glancing toward them that Van and Mr. Turn did not see the thing as I did. It was there for me alone. At the moment, though, I fought the belief again. Later I knew beyond question that what I beheld was the projection of a powerful, external will, the same which, with Alicia's dynamic force to aid, had once actually taken possession of my body. The finely cut lips moved. No audible sound came from them, but as they formed words, the speech was heard in my brain distinctly as if conveyed by normal sound vibrations through the eardrums. It was silent sound. The tone was deep, rather agreeable, amiably amused. "'You have said enough,' the face observed pleasantly. "'You have told the truth. Now stop there. Your friend has a father to deal with, while you have an employer.' He is willing to shoulder all the blame, and for you to expose your share in it would be a preposterous folly. Remember that hard as you have worked, you are receiving here twice the money you are worth, three times what you can hope to begin on elsewhere. Remember the miserable consequences of your own father's needless sacrifice. Remember how often, and very justly, you have wished that he had thought less of a point of fine-drawn honour and more of his family's happiness. Will you commit a like folly?" I can't tell, so that anyone will understand, what a wave of accumulated memories and secret revolts against fate overswept me as I stared hard into the smiling, light-blue eyes. But I fought. Grimly I began again. I gave it to him, and then stopped. That's enough. This time it was Vansittart speaking. You may go, Barber. Mr. Turn, I will ask you to leave us. You will receive my personal check for the amount you have lost. But, but, I stammered desperately, while those clear eyes grew more amused, more dominating. The lion's hard-held calmness broke in a roar. Get out! Out of here, both of you! Go!" Mr. Turn laid his hand on my arm, and reluctantly I allowed myself to be steered toward the door. As I turned away, the face did not float around with the turning of my eyes. It hung in mid-air, save for that odd, undimensional flatness, real as any of the three other faces there. When my back was to the President, the— the fifth presence was behind me. On glancing back, it still hung there. Then it smiled at me, a beautiful, pleased, wholly approving smile, and faded to nothing. 
I went out with Mr. Turn and left Van alone with his father. End of chapter 9